for, thanks for bearing with us. Um, you know, it's really uh, encouraging to see uh, the calibre of some of the teachers in the church. You know, we see uh, Paul Hickson and Eugene and uh, Mick and Dave Dean uh, and Stuart. Uh, you know, they've been doing a really good job and we're blessed to have um, such capable guys. So uh, let's pray and then we'll uh, get into God's word. Lord, thanks for the chance to fellowship and to look into your truth. Uh, grant us soft hearts. Uh, give us insight into uh, where we are in our relationship with you. Let us be humble enough to uh, face the hard truths. And um, thanks, Lord, for, the, for humility. It's such a, um, it's such a uh, great trait. Um, Thank you for your hope and the ability to change. Um, be with me as I teach. In Jesus' name, amen. So the text for today is James uh, 3, uh, 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility, that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition, in your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So we've been, uh, we've been working through the very practical book of James. A few of you have come up to me and said uh, how challenging the book of James is and I'm glad you have because it means I'm not alone. Uh, someone last week uh, at the end of the sermon came up and said, uh, and jokingly, they said, uh, James, thanks for making me feel rubbish. And I thought about that um, this week and I thought, that's a good thing. It means that the word's gone out and it's, uh, it's uh, fulfilling its purpose. And conviction is also a good thing because it shows that the Holy Spirit is alive and working in you. The, the book of James was written to challenges. James forces us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. James asks the hard question, if you say you're a Christian, does your profession of faith match your lifestyle? Paul answers the question, what is required for salvation? James answers the question, what is the proof of your salvation? That, that challenge is rooted in love. The challenge of, is our faith genuine? What's kinder out of these two? To usher someone into hell on the false pretense that they are a Christian and that everything's going to be okay, or, or to challenge the notion of salvation 
and force them to examine their faith. James, by all accounts, does the latter. The point of James is this. A genuine proof of faith will be evidenced in these things. A transformed life, changed behaviour, and the walking out of the good works that God has created in advance for us to do. Now, is the Christian life one of perfection? No. Last week we had a look and we saw that um, we all stumble in many ways. Is sanctification a process? Yep. Uh, does it take time for spiritual fruit in your life to grow? Yep, sure does. Um, and when we become a new creation, uh, it takes time for us to get rid of all those old behaviours and put on, on the new ones. With that said, if you've been a Christian for a while and you don't see any evidence of salvation that is works in your life, um, then you're wise to examine the genuineness of your salvation. And that's what the book of James is all about. James examines the genuineness of our faith through a series of practical tests. In week one, James examined our response to trials and temptations. In week two, we, we covered favoritism, and then in week three, faith and deeds. Uh, last week, we examined the tongue. Today, James turns his focus to the topic of wisdom in the believer's life. And what he does, he, he looks at two types of wisdom. He looks at divine wisdom or wisdom which is from above or God's wisdom and he also examines earthly wisdom or man's wisdom. And what James says is that if you're truly saved then your life should be characterised by divine wisdom, not worldly wisdom. So wisdom is our next test of genuine salvation. I thought um, before we get right into the text, um, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time on the idea of uh, what wisdom is. So wisdom is not knowledge. Education might give you knowledge, but it doesn't unlock the door of wisdom. Education is often toted by humanists as the saviour and the answer to all. If only we could educate the masses, then everything would be okay. I think we all know people who are really well educated but um, struggle with um, some basic aspects of living. Uh, the, the West is, is, has probably got more access to knowledge than it ever has and it's probably more educated than it, it's ever been. But we still struggle um, and we're still plagued with the same problems that have always faced us. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing wrong with embracing uh, man's knowledge and technical advancements. Uh, I don't think God is calling us to be Amish. And uh, I, was, I was quite happy to drive here this morning rather than ride my horse. Uh, wisdom is all about how we live and, what, and not what we know. When scriptural knowledge is applied to our lives then that knowledge um, becomes wisdom. The concept of uh, what wisdom is is, is, is really quite different uh, for the Jew versus the Gentile. Remember in James here, James is writing to Jewish Christians. The, the Jewish concept of wisdom stems from the Bible and um, namely um, 
the, uh, the five books of wisdom, which are Job, Ecclesiastes, uh, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, and Psalms. John MacArthur writes that the Gentiles or the Greeks view, of wisdom, view wisdom as speculative knowledge, theories, and philosophies. The Hebrews' concept of wisdom is different. It's infused with a much deeper meaning that had to do with one's ability to apply knowledge um, to practical living. The Hebrews, the Hebrews saw wisdom as doing life with skill and understanding, while to the Greeks, wisdom is far more of a speculative notion. So the, so the Greek and the, the Hebrew have very different starting blocks when it comes to wisdom. Uh, to Jews and Christians, God is the originator of wisdom. Uh, Proverbs thirteen, uh, sorry, Proverbs three nine says, "The Lord, by wisdom, formed the earth, and by understanding established the heavens." And in the New Testament, Colossians two three tells us, "Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." Wisdom originates from God, and He. And he is the holder of all wisdom. Wisdom itself is a gift. It's not generated by self-effort. If you go and lock your way, yourself away in a monastery for 20 years, there's no guarantee that um, after that 20 years you'll be any wiser. True wisdom is bestowed by God. All good and perfect gifts come from above, and wisdom, of course, is no different. Uh, we see this throughout Scripture. Uh, how did Solomon receive his wisdom? He asked God. Uh, Daniel freely uh, admitted that in himself he had no wisdom. Daniel 2 verse 30. Paul knew wisdom was a gift from above. Uh, we see him petition the Colossian and Ephesian churches um, uh, with, uh, that God would grant them wisdom. And James, of course, um, earlier on we saw... Um, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives it generously. True wisdom stems from our, our relationship with God. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear the Lord is to have a reverential trust, refuge and hope in him. In the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord is comparable to saving faith. And once relationship is established, once once uh, relationship is established, salvation um, brings wisdom, and really that that is the platform from which all wisdom is built. True wisdom comes from knowing and applying the scriptures. Two Timothy three six tells us that the scriptures make us wise unto salvation. And Psalm 19.7 says, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy and make the simple wise. And the classic test, text, Matthew 7.24, um, we have Christ saying, Everyone who hears these words and, of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. What separates the wise and the foolish? It's really, it's, it's what they build on. 
Christ is our rock. And secondly, it's what they do. The wise man is a doer of the word, not just a hearer. This is godly wisdom, and it's, it's a proof of salvation. Um, with that, possibly the, the longest introduction in history, we will move on to our text. James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? James just drills right down to it, doesn't he? He, he just gets to the issue. Um, there's no escaping the microscope uh, of James. James forces his readers to answer the question, am I wise? Um, and you can either answer yes or no. He doesn't give you any wiggle room. Most people would say that they're wise. Uh, John MacArthur writes, there are, no, there are not many self-professed fools. Isaiah 5.21 says, well, it's a warning really. He says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. We all like to have our opinions and we all think we're capable of offering some wisdom. And uh, I think that's, you know, in the age of social media, I think um, that's, that's increasingly evident. Um, James 3.1 says, let him show it by his good life, deeds, done in humility that comes from wisdom. James says that if you're wise, if you profess godly wisdom, then we should see it. And it's going to be obvious through these things. Your good life, that is your general conduct, how you live your years out. The totality of your life will reveal whether or not you have godly wisdom. And secondly, your deeds. So that's, you, that is your specific works, how you interact and act towards others. That also will reveal whether you have godly wisdom. And thirdly, it's not just those good deeds um, and your good life. It's, um, it's your attitude you do them with. Your attitude should be one of humility. Um, some texts um, will interpret that as meekness, um, and this is the third indicator of godly wisdom. Remember, meekness is not, is not spineless gentleness or passive quietness. It's power under control. It's that, it's that image of um, the harness stallion. There's a direct link between humility um, in the scriptures and God's wisdom. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility, wisdom. Humility is the foundation for de developing godly wisdom. Again in Proverbs, um, when you mock a mocker, you invite insult, but when you rebuke a wise man, he will become wiser still. You think you're a wise... Oh, the godly wisdom will listen to counsel and criticism, it will weigh up the truth and then it will learn from it. You think you're wise, James says? He says, well, we should see it. We should see it in your life, your deeds and your attitudes. In verse 14 to 16, uh, James goes on to analyse what worldly wisdom is. He breaks it down into three main components. The motives of worldly wisdom, the origins of worldly wisdom and Finally, the outcomes of worldly wisdom. Verse 14. But if any of you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your heart, don't boast about it or deny the truth. James here is introducing the motives behind worldly wisdom. 
One, bitter envy, and two, selfish ambition. Bitter envy. If you, trans- you could also translate that to bitter jealousy. It conveys the connotations of rivalry and competition. It's resentful and hostile to anyone who goes against the view of self and the expectations of entitlement. Secondly, earthly wisdom is motivated by selfish ambition. It's egocentric and and narcissistic in its driver. It's all about me and what I can get and because, after all, I'm worth it. Don't you just love those ads on television? It shows no love for your brother, so it's the reverse of one, John. And it's in direct opposition to Philippians 3.2, which tells us to do nothing out of... um, out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. As Christians, we're supposed to have um, the servant attitude of Christ. So what James is saying here is that if your life is earmarked by selfishness, pride and ego, that's not godly wisdom. You need to stop glorying in it and you need to stop boasting that you have godly wisdom. You need to acknowledge that You you need to acknowledge reality and the truth. Um, Not to do so will make you out to be a liar. One of the clearest markers of the unredeemed life is one which is dominated by pride and a massive sense of self. Verse 15. Such wisdom does does not come from heaven but is earthly, sensual and of the devil. You often hear people talk about the three enemies of the Christian um, and what you can see here is you can see all three in this verse. We have the world, the, f- the flesh, and the devil. And all are embodiments of false wisdom. Uh, earthly wisdom is devoid of divine revelation. It's limited to both um, uh, man's intellect and it's also restricted by his human reasoning. Secondly, false wisdom is sensual. It's governed by the flesh. Um, Self-gratification is its driver um, and it's perfect for a society that wants it all now. Thirdly, we see false wisdom is of the devil. So Satan has been at it for a long time. He's he's been pushing his earthly brand of wisdom since Genesis 3 and the deception of Eve in the garden. Earthly wisdom can certainly have its origins in the kingdom of darkness. Paul, writing to Timothy, said this, False teachers are teaching doctrines of demons generated by seducing spirits. Satan will try and tempt us away from godly wisdom and try to get us to employ worldly wisdom, and it's our role to resist him. In verse 16, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James here details um, for us uh, the outcomes of earthly wisdom. Firstly, disorder. Um, God, of course, is a God of order and not chaos. Worldly wisdom um, results in strife and confusion. It destroys love, it destroys unity and fellowship. Um, We can see worldly wisdom all around us. Uh, Man thought that the Tower of Babel um, was, a wi- was a wise creation 
um, but its results were confusion. And even to today, the word babble means to confuse. Um, secondly, once we have confusion, uh, worldly, res- worldly wisdom results in every evil kind of practice. If you want a great biblical example of this, have a look in Romans 1, 21 to 28, um, and we see how worldly wisdom ends in every evil practice. We see, a, we see a people who thought they were wise but were actually fools. They exchanged the truth and the knowledge of God for a lie. And God, what he did, he gave them over to a depraved mind and um, what resulted was a, was a plethora of, of every evil practice. In this verse, evil, um, uh, what, that, what that word means is worthlessness, um, something which has no value. And nothing good comes out of worldly wisdom. It doesn't have, a, it doesn't have the power to change you, um, except for worse. There's no, room, there's no room for the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man to coexist. They're diametrically opposed. Um, the wisdom of man only pollutes the wisdom of God. Um, it's like last week when we looked at the two streams, the salty stream and the, and the fresh stream. The two can't coexist. Paul in 1 Corinthians in chapters 1 to 3 contrasts the difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. God is out to destroy the wisdom of the wise, 1 Corinthians 1.19, and he does that by choosing the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Why does he do that? He does it so he gets the glory and man can't uh, can't, um, boast in in his worldly wisdom. When Paul came to preach the the gospel at Corinth, he he didn't come with man's wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He He wanted their faith not to rest on man's wisdom, but on the power of God. Man's wisdom has no power to change. God's wisdom has the power to change your life. The point of James is that the presence of godly wisdom in your life will result in change and it's one of the proofs of genuine salvation. As an aside, it's no wonder that God tells us not to be uh, unequally yoked. The man without the spirit can't accept the things that come from God. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to the saved, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So if you link yourself with an unbeliever, um, you can argue till the cows come in, um, but no human reason will convince an unbeliever of the wisdom of God. If you marry an unbeliever, the two of you will be on very different pages when it comes to what wisdom is. James 3.17 But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So James here is going to contrast earthly wisdom with um, eight specific virtues of godly wisdom. First of all, godly wisdom is pure. It's holy, it's chaste and it's uh, it's free from defilement. Um, The word pure... The Greek word is the word hagni, um, 
which is a secular word. And what, what it means is that um, pure enough to approach the gods. So true wisdom is pure in heart. And it kind of smacks of the Beatitudes, doesn't it? Um, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Secondly, God's wisdom is peace-loving, meaning that it's not uh, openly given to competition, rivalry and war. God is not about peace, however, at any, any price. He, he wants holiness and not niceness. God's wisdom will never cover uh, sin for the price of unity. And that's true of our relationships too. Warren Wiesby says, confess your sins to one another and God's peace will hold you together. Thirdly, God's wisdom is gentle or considerate. The text here implies the idea of sweet reasonableness. Um, it's, for the scholars, it's, it's quite a difficult word to translate. Uh, what it means, however, is kind and courteous, humble, able to take persecution um, without malice, revenge and hatred. Fourthly, God's wisdom is submissive. Always a touchy word um, when it comes to today's modern vernacular. Uh, it has connotations of willingness to yield and someone who is instructable. It's the opposite of stubborn and obstinate. It doesn't mean, however, to be a doormat. Fifthly, godly wisdom is full of mercy. Not only does godly wisdom forgive those who wrong us, but it actively looks um, to help those who uh, are suffering. Uh, a good example of this would be the Good Samaritan or uh, David when he uh, adopted Mephibosheth, uh, always a mouthful, um, who was the disabled son of Jonathan. Sixth, godly wisdom um, demonstrates good fruit, um, uh, the practical deeds which are done for God's glory. And we find ourselves back now to James verse 2, uh, which talks about uh, saving faith um, resulting in good works, which of course is the evidence of salvation. Godly, godly wisdom is impartial without favoritism and it carries with it also the concept that uh, God's wisdom is unwavering or uh, probably a better way to put it is that God's, God, godly wisdom is undivided in its commitment. Finally, number eight, God's wisdom is sincere. In other words, if you have God's wisdom in your life, um, we should see a life which is not plagued by hypocrisy uh, mask wearing and pretension. What you see is what you get. Uh, the Christian should not be two-faced. These are the traits of godly wisdom and they're the marks of a true believer whose conversion is genuine. James 3 verse 18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. The Christian life as well as the secular life is one of sowing and reaping. Christian possessing godly wisdom will be a peacemaker. God hates the sowing of discord amongst the brothers. Um, through the sowing of peace, um, the result is a harvest of righteousness, um, which brings blessing to you and those around you. 
Godly wisdom will always walk in righteousness and justice. Um, the opposite, of course, is true for worldly wisdom. If you sow selfishness, hatred and competition, then you're going to reap chaos, confusion and every kind of evil practice in your life. Uh, in conclusion, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to few, uh, finish with a few uh, gems from Manly Proverbs um, that says that for all of us, godly wisdom calls out to each of us. Um, Proverbs 8.1 and we all, have a, we all have a role in pursuing God's wisdom. Godly wisdom begins with a fear of the Lord. It grows by knowing and applying the word of God. Wisdom is of greater value than money. We need to seek it out like buried treasure. Um, though it costs all we have, we should get wisdom. Our desire should be for godly wisdom and not the wisdom of man. I really, I really love the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it reminds me of the statement that says, misery can drive a Porsche as well as push a broom, and that all men, all men are the same under God. Uh, in my early readings of Ecclesiastes, I, I used to have a few problems with Solomon. Um, I remember just thinking, Solomon, come on, buddy, you just need to lighten up a little bit. Um, you know, you're on top of your game and, you know, life's not that hard. Um, you know, take the Prozac and go on. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, that, you know, that is not a biblical account of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I, I'd just like to say that. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but now when I look at Ecclesiastes, I see, I see the ultimate example um, of a life which is lived for worldly wisdom. And to be honest, I, I see myself a lot in Ecclesiastes. Um, I see how much of my own life has been lived, uh, spent pursuing functional idols. Um, and I think most of us have lived there where, where we've pursued um, the wisdom of the world. And um, it looks like this. You try and find your self-worth in things which are outside Christ. And... The examples of that are fame and fortune, family, relationships, substance abuse, the busyness of life, uh, empire building, education, sports and um, your occupation. Hopefully a few of those are ringing bells. In the end, even if you're super successful like Solomon, you're going to find yourself in the same boat as Solomon. For all his hedonism, for all his acquiring of knowledge, for all his wealth and all his striving, he came to the final conclusion that all that stuff means zero if the Lord isn't at the centre of your life. His conclusion was vanity of vanities, a meaninglessness chasing after the wind. So James says if you want to know if your salvation is genuine, ask yourself the question, is my life marked by worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? If you're a Christian, it, it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, godly wisdom just has to be present. Let's pray. Lord, um, as we go out, um, I just pray that your, your word rests on us. Um, when change needs to happen, um, help us come to you. 
you're the holder of wisdom, and if we ask for it, you promise to give it generously. Grant us the ability to change and, um, and help us in the week ahead, Lord. Um, pray for our newly instituted government. And, uh, you know, I think of the proverb that says um, that you, God, move the hand of the king and uh, give them wisdom as they, as they govern us. In Jesus' name, amen.